Thank you for tuning in to this 10th episode of the Old Code Podcast. I am your host, and as promised, this is going to be a little bit longer of an episode. Today we're talking about the problem. We're talking about an unholy trinity of three gods, three old gods that our culture seems bent on worshipping. The reason why I want to talk about this is because in order to lay out these things that I've been noticing about how we can do culture better, I want to prove that our... I want to establish that our culture isn't just neutral. We kind of walk into looking at the world and saying, yeah, there's things we can improve upon, but really... I don't want to say this in order to make people feel negative about the way... I don't want people to just be pessimistic. I really don't. For a very long time, my heart and my mind were consumed with pessimism. And after this episode, I don't want you to feel that way because I want you to recognize that there is something and there are things that we can do to pursue a better and holier future. I've already talked about the modernist transcendentals. I've already talked about how we organize our cities and how we organize our time in order to reflect self-centeredness. But I want to go further and I want to go deeper and not just say that we're worshipping ourselves. I want to make it picture perfect and absolutely clear how our self-idolatry is just regurgitated and recycled old idolatry. And so for this, I'm laying out this paradigm that really we're worshipping three old pagan gods. And I'm, I'll show my cards for one of them. I'm drawing heavily on a book by the name of The Enchantments of Mammon by, I think his name is Eugene McCarrer. Uh, I believe that's his name. Uh, I know his last name is McCarrer, but go feel, feel free to look that up. The Enchantments of Mammon. Uh, I don't agree with all of his conclusions as to the direction we can go, but I do appreciate the fact that he brings this to light. I'm drawing on a lot of different resources as well, and I'm going to include all of my notes in the show notes, or at least a lot of my references in the show notes, as to how and who these pagan gods are. So, I'm, I'll open with the easiest of these three gods to define, and I'll kind of go from most concrete to most abstract. And I hope that that will help along the way. So the first of these three gods is the Canaanite god Baal. And we hear a lot about the Canaanite god Baal, especially because 
Jewish or uh, Judaism co-opt Baal as in their demonology, effectively. Uh, Judaism and Catholicism recognize Baal in their demonology, uh, and but really, initially, I think I'm talking about Ur-Baal or Ur-Baal uh, in as far as the original Canaanite mythology. So, Baal was really god of three things. He was god of fertility, uh, both in the individual being fertile, meaning we are reproducing. He was god of the weather, which meant that he was god of fertility for the harvest. But he was also a god of war. He was the god of... And that in that, it was national prosperity. So, if you're going to, to war, you call upon the name of Baal. If you want a good harvest, you offer up sacrifices to Baal. If you are hoping that you will conceive, you would offer up a sacrifice to Baal. So, in that, Baal is a bit more broad, but I want to tease out how our culture has been worshipping Baal, effectively. So, in a very real way, our modern iteration of Baal worship has come through the way we treat our lands, the way we treat our crops, and the way we treat our women, and the way, and I want to show how these three gods overlap. And, but I'll do that a little bit more so later. Um, so Baal is the god of agriculture, effectively. He's the god of weather. Uh, he's the god of harvest. And so just putting that aside, because I think I, I've decided that I want to define each of these gods before I actually talk about how our culture has co-opted them in our worship. So the first is Baal. The next is Moloch or uh, Malak. The exact identity of Moloch in the Old Testament is still uncertain. Some scholars claim that Moloch was a specific type of sacrificial practice. Some scholars equate him to the Mesopotamian god Nergal, who was the god of the underworld. Uh, in any rate, it's it's kind of fuzzy exactly who Moloch was. But in the Old Testament, what we see Moloch being is child sacrifice. Uh, you see these references of your children passing through the fires of Moloch, all of the above. It's just this image of if you want favor for something, you offer up a child or your children to this pagan god. And the, the final one is Mammon, and the what we understand of Mammon we get from a New Testament passage where Christ says you cannot serve God and Mammon at the same time. Uh, you, and Mammon is understood as this god of greed, he's a god of money, uh, and again going back to that book that I said uh, drawing from, 
it's this idea of the kind of a god of industry uh, and that's his extrapolation uh, in this book the enchantments of mammon that's his extrapolation which is industry is built on this idol worship of this god mammon uh, mammon being a god of money basically just how can we get more so if you wanted to make it a little bit more abstract he's the god of consumerism so now that we have the three effectively laid out i'd like to explain how each of these three is actualized in the way we do society so the first again going back to bail uh, i'm trying to remember the exact name of the book i'll include it in the show notes but you can see the worship of Baal emerging starting in the early 1900s slash early 20th century, late 19th, early 20th century, especially with the establishment of what we today understand as modern agricultural practices. And the flip side of it, I'll explain in a second, but... Baal worship today looks like how we treat our soil when you get down to it. Um, and I'll finally say how we treat our soil. How we treat our soil is we pump things into our soil which are designed to kill. Uh, we fundamentally... I'm debating right now whether or not I want to go into the full explanation as to... Actually, you know what? I think I will. I've already committed to the idea that this is going to be a longer episode. So, in the grand scheme of things, our practice of agriculture, not only in how we treat our soil, but how we treat our animals, is the most production out of our soil out of our cattle out of our out of our animals all of the above um, we've specifically bred cows to produce a a lot of milk we've specifically designed our fertilizers in order to produce more more crops as much as many crops as we possibly can as much fruit as we possibly can out of a given crop. But going into the backstory, uh, I, I actually, final, final note on how we treat our soil. Uh, we intentionally destroy soil, stru soil structures and soil aggregates, which I will get into in another episode as to how entirely damaging these things are but suffice it to say we destroy the soil structure which first of all means that these the roots are not able to fetch micronutrients the way they need to the earth becomes more compacted because the structure itself is being disintegrated carbon is no longer able to be sequestered because as we till our soils the carbon which is 
the liquid carbon which is stored in the soil for the plants to use is then expelled and oxidized into the atmosphere. So instead of being able to store carbon the way we want, our carbon stores are actually being further expelled into the air. A um, little bit of history as to the fertilizers, and this goes back into that premise of Baal being a god of war and a god of fertility. Uh, starting in World War II, munitions manufacturers were creating phosphorus and they had stores of nitrogen. Now the problem is that once World War II ended, phosphorus and nitrogen, they didn't have a whole lot to do with these things. So instead of just dumping them, they turned to farmers in order to show that, hey, soils need phosphorus, soils need nitrogen, they need fertilizer, because what ended up happening post-Dust Bowl, which again came because of poor agricultural practices, we won't necessarily hold it against the Italian immigrants who caused it, because they were just practicing what they knew from their home countries, but inappropriate farming practices and inadvertently caused the Dust Bowl. And so these farmers are looking at the soil going, how on earth are we supposed to farm with this, right? with this dry soil? This happens in the 1920s and 30s. Come the 1940s and 50s, and these munitions manufacturers who had boatloads of phosphorus and nitrogen on hand start sprinkling it on soil and showing, hey, this actually helps grow plants a little bit better. Because it did. And the, the problem is that while these helped grow plants in the quick burst, effectively, these soil additives actually further oxidize the soil. So what we end up producing in our soil is a very fertile, immediate crop, but it creates less and less fertile soil over the course of generations, over the course of the years of its being used. So again, that weird overlap between with Baal being god of war and god of fertility, where the those who profited from war suddenly shifted gears and were profiting from the soil. Um, and I just find that absolutely fascinating. So what we've ended up doing is we've ended up creating an environment where our topsoil is being washed away every year because as we till again we're bringing the old or the new dense soil up to the surface in order to be oxidized by the sun we remove all potential protection by killing every single cover crop because we call them weeds in, a, in modernity. We call cover crops weeds. Um, and because these cover crops no longer maintain any soil structure, as 
we, as we destroy them, the topsoil ends up getting eroded by heavy rain, or by any rain really, because it just gets washed away. Uh, I want you to imagine soil structure as having, well, basically it has an actual structure, and there's microfungi and microbacteria which effectively create glue that holds structure together, this, this structure together. It stores liquid carbon and allows plants to grow. I want you to think of liquid carbon effectively as fat stores for plants. So every year when we are tilling, we perform liposuction, essentially, on the soil. What was supposed to be stored for the next year is now oxidized and then just thrown back into the atmosphere. So because our plants don't actually have the fat stores, the crops every year have actually been diminishing not only in return, but also in nutritional value. And this is very concerning for all of us. It's one of those things where it doesn't matter necessarily how much fertilizer, if fertilizer was working, we wouldn't need to be to keep on pumping it into the soil every single year. So I will go into the solution and I want to keep on reiterating that in another episode. I want to go into possible solutions in the future. I don't want to just leave you with, oh my gosh, we're screwed. But we do have stuff that we can be doing and there's stuff people already are doing in order to help sort this out. The reasons why we end up doing this is because it makes money. It, that's that's it. We, we do this because it makes money. Uh, going one step further with how, <laughs> how culture is built on the idea of let's make money, not let's make a healthy society. Um, so I mentioned cattle. Cattle is not meant to eat grain. Cows and other ruminant animals, they have a specific organ in their body called a rumen, which is kind of like a stomach that breaks down cellulose. They are meant to eat grass. They're meant to eat high cellulose items. So again, however, what they noticed was that if you feed cows corn or grains they put on a lot of weight really fast now that sounds really good if you're trying to sell cows but poor thing cow when you pump them full of corn and grain they end up getting sick and in order to fix this sickness we end up pumping them full of antibiotics as we are finding out now, the antibiotics that we pump into the cows, they end up having hormonal disruptions for us. They end up throwing our own gut microbiome off because again, an antibiotic, the only thing it's meant to do is kill microbes. So it ends up throwing our own microbiome off. It ends up throwing our hormones off. We pump them, we pump cows full of hormones in order to get them as big and as muscly as possible because that means better return on investment for, per head of cattle. It's just a mess. It really is. 
And if I dare say it, it, oh, a final note on the cows, because they're meant to eat grass, but we are feeding them corn, we don't have as many grasslands as we used to. Our, our country used to be full of grasslands that these ruminant animals could just feed on at any time. Now we have thousands and, and millions of acres of corn in Iowa, Nebraska, the Midwest, and the entire reason why we have this is because we're convinced that cows need corn in order to survive. This, again, creates more tillage, it creates reduced carbon sequestration, because the soil, the, what used to be grasslands is now actively tilled monoculture every single year. And again, monoculture, you need, in order for healthy soils, you need biodiversity. Um, and I think that you can say that for anything. If you only ate spinach as a human, you would be very nutrient deficient. Um, and then you are forced to take one a day every single day in order to make up for the vitamins and minerals that you're lacking. And that's effectively what fertilizer is. So I apologize again. This episode may be a little bit disjointed in the narrative, but that's because each of these touches on such broad categories. So big takeaways. For the worship of Baal, we destroy our soil, we destroy our livestock because we're convinced that we need to feed them a particular thing. And and as we destroy our soil, we are also further polluting our atmosphere. This one was, without a doubt, the most depressing episode I've had to put together. So, uh, and dare I say, the practice of grain dumping in order to maintain constant prices. I can't help but feel like it is a grain sacrifice that we offer up in order to maintain our good relationship with this god. It's, I, yeah, and so why should you care about the way we handle our soil? Because it doesn't just affect our soil, it affects our bodies, it affects our atmosphere, it affects our future. So, that being said, this is my teaser for why we need better regenerative farming practices, and I think you should care about it because it's, I want to get into the future as to why regenerative farming practices actually echo the way we, the way um, God designed ecosystems to work. All right, um, I will go to Mammon now because I'm gonna save the most depressing for last. Um, the worship of mammon, as you well know, as I've already previously mentioned, draws on greed and industry. Again, I'm going to be drawing heavily on uh, Kerr's work, the enchantments of mammon. But starting in the Puritan era, he does an excellent job of fleshing out how 
effectively with the removal of Catholicism as a works-based salvation, the Protestant and Puritan work ethic steps in as this avenue of works-based sanctification. And in the end, what we have is God shows his favor most abundantly by prospering one's business. That's the long and short of it. Uh, and he does an excellent job of fleshing out how this depicts this almost religious treatment of the market. Um, I dare say that economics is a pseudoscience in itself. It's like predicting the weather. There's a, there is absolutely a science to it, but if we could actually have a full-blown science to it, we'd be able to graph out exactly how markets are going to go. You just plug in every single variable and you, bam, you got it. So what ends up happening with this cult of mammon in today's day and age is rampant consumerism and the need to produce and consume new things every single year. I feel like it's especially pertinent coming on the heels of Christmas. Um, and I feel like the Grinch talking about it. But when you have a market that is built on the premise of something, of you need something new. And I'm, and I'm setting my sights effectively on the modern iteration of capitalism on this one. You have an industry which is built on the idea of you need the new iteration, you need the better iteration of what you had last year. And so instead of simply being content, we have to have, we felt, we, we feel lacking if we do not have the better version or the newer version of whatever we are trying to possess. Uh, the iPhone is <laughs> one of the biggest examples of that. And I think that it's, I, I have an iPhone. I'll just, I'll, I'll just be honest. I have an iPhone, but the fact of the matter is, is that we act like the newest iPhone is the best thing since sliced bread. Uh, and one of the reasons why we feel like that, and we, we found this out, I want to say 2017, because there was a huge lawsuit. Uh, the reason why we feel like the newer iPhone is always going to be better was because Apple was slowing down their older models with their software intentionally in order to make you buy the new one. We end up filling our landfills not only with fast fashion, which is in one year out the next, or in one month out the next, up filling our, our landfills with fast technology because your iPhone is no longer meant to last more than however long the next it takes for the next iPhone to come out. Um, and the worship of the almighty dollar is the litmus test for the quality and character of a man. Uh, kind of going back to what we were talking about with I've mentioned like Andrew Tate or any of the money gurus. They're parasites in this environment. Uh, when you are 
building your entire brand on the idea of you can be independent and you can be a great man by gaining financial independence but your image of financial independence is not through creating or producing any true thing of value or of substance instead you are simply producing your you have a drop shipping website or you're producing something that a novelty item you're not ascending to the heights of someone like Nikola Tesla or something like that you are just a parasite on this greater system you are you're you have a symbiotic relationship with that with the greater system you're a pilot fish as it were as you just sit on top of the back of the whale which is Jeff Bezos as you have an Amazon drop shipping website and I think that the worship of the almighty dollar in especially hustle culture proves that we are we have a cult-like following with this premise and I, th I like first of all I don't think I need to necessarily show that we have a crumbling economy to demonstrate that maybe this system doesn't actually work as well as we like um, but I will include the fact that our GDP had been our, our that our production has been suffering that we're not doing as well as we should uh, if we really had a perfectly functioning system I would also make the point that because people have taken such personal identity and personal stock in their business and their work but they're finding but people are finding out that their jobs are fundamentally pointless and especially because AI is going to be taking it over we're currently on the edge of another industrial revolution which is quickly echoing the conditions that the Luddites were in when they started smashing looms and weavers uh, because we're finding out that even creative jobs can be replaced with AI and to me that's that's startling but I will include in the show notes the fact that we are currently working more and and the, the graph goes up and down over the course of the centuries but currently on average we're working more than the 13th century peasants are like take that into stock if you're working an average of 40 hours a week you're working more than the average French peasant or the average 13th century peasant did so just soak on that for a minute the fact that if you really wanted to think of yourself as a king you're actually working more than a peasant we're experiencing burnout in record rates we're experiencing like people are working 78 80 hours a week and barely making ends meet people are working two three jobs in order to survive the homeless crisis is at an all-time high you go to San Francisco or Portland or any of those major hub cities and we we have more people than I mean we have a, we have a great deal of jobs we really do but we have a great deal of meaningless jobs and jobs that are effectively just adult daycare because if we didn't give people something to do 
they would just end up feeling worthless. And the fact of the matter is, is they're already starting to feel worthless. So uh, McCarrer goes into it very effectively in his book. I'm not doing it any justice, but he even talks about how advertising is a form of iconography. Uh, stock markets are a form of theology, or like the, the economics is a form of theology. Um, there are sacraments to the way we handle our economy, all of the above. It's it's really brilliant the way he handles it. And so I would definitely encourage you, go take a look and read it. I enjoyed my read of it. I actually listened to it. Um, so my saving this one for the last, the worship of Moloch. And the worship of Moloch is most certainly the most depressing, but Moloch, I'm going to argue, was... Sacrificial practice to Nergal, wherein one sacrificed their children for favor in this life. Nergal being the god of the underworld, so you were effectively making a deal with death to prosper you in life. And the modern iteration of this is most clearly and evidently defined in the act of abortion. Women today will actively put their children to death because it will infringe upon job opportunities or because they don't want to have stretch marks or because it's an inconvenience to them. And so the slaughter of children is regularly practiced because first of all, we think that they are, that they're not people. Um, to me, I can't help but think that that echoes the sentiments of the slavers and the slavers in the 18th century, 18th and 19th century, and even the certain um, cultures' views on other peoples, uh, namely the, the Islamic view of the infidel and the Judaistic view of the goyim. Effectively, you can treat other people how you want to treat them when you just deny their humanity. In any case, what we are doing is we have decided to kill our children in order to have a better future for tomorrow for ourselves. And the result of this is our replacement rate of, you know, our birth replacement rate has been crushed in America and Europe. Uh, there is a strong correlation between higher likelihoods of cervical and uterine cancer for those who have experienced induced abortions. Just marinate on that for a second. Our marriage rate has steadily, like the average age of marriage has steadily been growing all of the above, and this is all because we want to push off responsibility, and we want to push off life for, we want to experience our 20s, we want to experience our youth, all of this. It's built on the idea that your youth is not a time for children, your youth is a time for fun and for hustle. 
And so this now finally gets into how these three gods function synergistically. So we worship Baal and we worship, or we, we worship Baal, Molech, and Mammon when we send our children to fight in wars, to die for battles and wars that we don't believe in, but we send them over there because <laughs> there's a profit margin for the military industrial complex. We worship Moloch and, and Mammon when we slaughter our children so that we can make extra money. We worship Baal and Mammon when we, instead of allowing our soils to rest or even using slightly less profitable um, farming strategies or pumping steroids into our cattle, because it'll make a little bit more money. We even worship mammon when we, when our hospitals do not treat the illness, rather they treat symptoms. I mean, one of the best and easiest way, like strategies that I can point to with that, as far as hospital goes, is the fact that we don't actually allow birth to take place naturally, Rather, we create an environment where we're where we are, and where women are convinced that they could never possibly do this. They need the help of modern medicine, and I am not denying the fact that medicine has played an immense and amazing role in helping to make certain things safer. But I will invite my wife on this podcast in a future episode. She is a midwife. She's trained. She she's delivered more than a hundred babies um, and just hearing the stories it's absolutely amazing so that'll be another future episode um, seeing the way our culture has handled so many things which should be done with righteousness it's um, it has made my heart particularly heavy and that is one of the reasons why I kind of didn't want to do this episode but I think it's absolutely necessary if I'm going to lay out these topics that I really want to talk about and I think you should care about why regenerative farming and why grass-fed beef are actually are not just industry decisions they are moral decisions I want to lay out how uh, the abortion debate is obviously a moral decision. Anybody who de denies that, like, you just do not understand anything in the world. But I, want to, I wanted to lay out how artisan goods and meaningful, intentional production of goods, that's not just an industry decision. That is, that is a moral decision. So I want you to care about these topics as much as I do, because these are, uh, I'll, I think I'll, I will close with this. And this is, these have been observations people have been making for a while, but I want to draw your attention to the fact that for some reason we have centralized on these three pagan gods for certain. So the, I want to say, 1920s movie 
silent film Metropolis. Um, it's a dyst one of the first dystopian science fiction films, if not the first. Um, I was talking to my brother about this the other day, actually. So, um, Moloch is depicted in the film as there is a metaphor for the workhouses in 18th and 19th century Germany. Well, 1800s and 1900s Germany. And you can even see this in England and other places. But Moloch is depicted as this god which people are sacrificing their children to for the sake of industry. And I want to take a long, hard look at the heritage that each of these centers of society have. Because when, again, when you understand the fact that abortion was championed and initially effectively founded by a woman who was horribly racist and a eugenicist, when you understand that capitalist in, industrial capitalism was built on child and slave labor in the workhouses and uh, African and Africans, and when you understand that our agricultural practices are built out of the military-industrial complex. Each of these has implications not only for the past, but then when you look at how the, how we handle our soil is destroying future crops, when you look at how and future crops and the atmosphere, when you look at how our cons rampant consumerism is a producing an economy of meaninglessness and it is filling our landfills and our oceans. And when you look at the fact that the practice of abortion is not only killing our children and reducing our replacement rate, but also it's killing our women with cancer and psychosis. Um, these things have value or have these things these things have moral values to them we're not just making all moral decisions we're making immoral decisions so with that being said i want i'm going to close i am sorry i have probably left you sad by the end of this but please know that future episodes are going to explore hope that's all i've wanted to do with this podcast is explore hope but before i can explore why solutions are as important as they are i feel like i needed to explain the problem so this has been the old code podcast and i will talk to you next week